Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 340 of Linux in the Hampshire. We have a great episode. Tonight for you on the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet, we have a special guest. His name is Michael Black, Whiskey Nine, Mike, uh, Mike Delta Bravo, who's going to talk to us about Hamlib. But the other folks that are going to talk to you about Hamlib, because I've been beaten into making sure I say this tonight, are Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and I'm Bill, NE4RD. So let's introduce our guest. Michael, how are you doing tonight? Oh, doing wonderful. Just trying to stay safe at home now. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're all trying to do that, except for the uh, the far writers who are trying to run out and give it to everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all over Facebook. Everyone wants to. Everyone's so tired of being at home. It's been a whole like three weeks. I don't know how we're going to handle all this, but we're not here to talk about COVID nineteen. We are here to talk about Hamlib. And uh, Bill found your name because you're. You show up in quite a few commits in the Hamlib project, so we thought you might be the person to talk to about Hamlib. Um, so you can tell us now if we're wrong, and we're going to go ahead anyway. Uh, well, yeah, I kind of fairly recently assumed the helm from uh, Nate and Zero NB, Nate Bartman. Uh, he was the primary maintainer before, and he's kind of been busy with his crops a lot, and not being able to spend a lot of time on this, and. Uh, I've been contributing to it for a long time, and so he finally basically turned the reins over to me for now, and uh, I've been making changes like crazy, trying well, to good. make Good. We like it. to see active development. Yeah. Things were kind of quiet for a long while, and uh, Bill from the, the uh, WSJTX project used to do a lot of uh, individual patches, and uh, so now I'm actually working both with his version that he keeps on SourceForge but the primary uh, one is on the GitHub that you've got that little link there. Yeah, I have a link to both projects. And we'll right. uh, we'll touch on the differences between the two projects because I know there are some specific differences that are addressed in WSJTX. Um, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, first, we should probably get to know you. So other than being um, the the maintainer now or the, the core contributor to the HamLive project, uh, who are you? <laughs> uh, well, I'm my father's son. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, it's an excellent start. Uh, actually, I'll give you just the nickel tour. Uh, pretty much my dad raised me up. I was doing hardware, construction, auto mechanics, photography, chemistry, uh, electronics, uh, and everything when I was a kid. I was repairing the family TV when I was 13 with a tube tester that we got. I had a transistor tester and a transoceanic RCA radio. Uh, and then I went to the Air Force, spent 20 years in there. Uh, last 11 years in the Air Force, I worked research and development. 
And we used to say we worked everything from DC to daylight. Uh, we, uh, I worked a lot with, uh, data acquisition, computers, uh, and atmospheric modeling for RF, optical. We did, uh, seismic, hydroacoustic, uh, just all sorts of technologies, lasers, uh, radiological detectors. Uh, I was an inspector with the INF Treaty over in Kazakhstan, uh, doing, uh, neutron measurements on SSB 25 intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, so I've done a little bit of everything. And, uh, after I retired, I got into doing some high power rocketry with my grandson, wanted to put a transponder in it. And I found out I had to have a license. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. so yes. Yeah. And I'd always wanted to learn, uh, this ham stuff, but I never wanted to learn CW because I'm a musician and CW drives my ears nuts. <laughs> uh, nothing like a monotone, you know, <laughs> it's not music uh, to your ears is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I got my license with that and I said, Hey, this is everything I've ever done in my entire life. Software, hardware, uh, modeling, atmospherics and everything else. I said, this is just the best hobby I could ever have found. All right. And fantastic. And because you clearly had a bunch of extra time, you decided to start coding a rig control library yeah well i was contributing a little bit and then i retired a little over a year ago uh and so now i'm uh basically i got a lot more time on my hands so that's why i basically picked it up from nate uh because i've got more time than he does so all right well so you apparently are the person that we should be talking to so we found the right guy that's always a good start on on these (laughs) type of shows um, so maybe you could, since you obviously have uh, quite a bit of experience with us, just walk us through like the early days of ham live and, uh, you know, tell us when it started, uh, what it is from your point of view and, uh, maybe what you think it ought to be. Well, uh, apparently a little bit before my time, I actually got licensed in 2013, so I don't have all the history behind me. Um, but Hamlib was started approximately 20 years ago. So it's been around a long time. Uh, and that's uh, Stephen Fallad was one of the big original contributors. Um, and then Nate was one of the early contributors, too. Uh, and it has just gradually grown into supporting more and more rigs and more and more equipment. And we're looking in the future to try and support even more stuff. Um, so we work now with... Uh, WSJTX is one of the big projects. Uh, JTDX, of course, uses it. GPredict, uh, another one that I know of that I've worked with a lot trying to get things working with it. Uh, those are the three big ones that I know about offhand. But um, basically, anything that needs to interface with a rig when it comes to a computer program, software, could use it. Certainly, not 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 all do. Sometimes they implement their own rig control libraries, but you could if you wanted to. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, let's see. You know, FL Digi also supports it, and then uh, I also built an interface in Hamlib that can actually talk to any allows any program who can talk to a COM port to also use Hamlib, and there's some distinct advantages to that. Because um, I can kind of tell you like the setup that I use here at home. Uh, FL rig is my primary rig control and every other program I've got, I can actually run, uh, WSJTX, log4om, FL digi, MMTTY, N1MM, log4om, uh, pretty much any other software I've got all at once talking to my rig. Everyone. Is that, 
Is that using the rig control D? That's using, actually, it's a combination. Okay. Um, uh, there is a direct interface to FL rig built into it. Uh, so like in, if you go to WSJTX, you can pull down and you'll find FL rig listed. That's one of the ones I created that uh, allows you to hook up directly to FL rig. And then Log4OM talks to the rig control D, which also hooks up to FL rig. There's another program called rig control com, which acts as a, what you do is use a virtual serial port to hook up to it. And it talks to FL rig then acting as a TS2000. So you just turn on TS2000 emulation and you can talk to FL rig again with everybody else talking to FL rig all at the same time. Well, that's so just that, crazy talk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, I also stuck in another capability, uh, where we can now hook up, uh, a, a remote serial port, like on a wireless ethernet adapter or a remote port, wherever it may be in the world. And you can hook rig control directly up to the IP address and a port number on that machine to talk to it. So Whoa. we're gradually expanding the uh, remote capability, I guess you'd say. That sounds pretty cool. Maybe we can touch on that a little bit later because we're getting way down in the list beyond <laughs> some, of, some of these more basic things that we should probably address before we get there. Uh, the first one being, and I'm pretty sure I'm uh, correct in this, that it's written in C. Yes, it's written in C, uh, but there are also other interfaces that we have. Um, we generate the bindings for uh, Python, Pi, Swig, or for Lua, uh, C Sharp, C++. Uh, what else do we got in there? That's the ones I remember off the top of my head. So okay. any language can talk to it pretty much. Okay. Do you know off the top of your head, if you uh, want to name them or can name them, any other... APIs or libraries in other languages, like say Python or something like that, that leverage Hamlib and expose it to other languages. Um, basically, um, well, like I said, those those are the ones primary ones that I listed there. Uh, but uh, I've never had it or seen anybody else ask for another language. But the only we don't support Fortran that I know of, other than uh, <laughs> or Cobol or Cobol, which even though we're looking for Cobol programmers now. Uh, nobody's asked for that one yet. <laughs> oh, it looks like you support Perl, so there you go. Yeah, Perl, yeah. Did I forget <laughs> that one? Okay, yeah, I forgot Perl, yeah. Okay, so there's there's Perl. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm guessing there's probably not a PHP library, but... Uh, no, I don't think I've run into PHP. I, I, I actually considered writing one at one point, but I did not. <laughs> um... It probably would have made uh, integration for CloudLog a lot easier because they had to do some special work to get Hamlib presented to uh, the web the way they do it, but it works at least. Anyway, uh, we've got a question in the chat room. We're going to hold off on asking it for a minute because it's probably going to require a detailed explanation. So okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so what is Hamlib's license? What's it really uh, Basically, we switched that over uh, last year. It was GPL, and then we switched it over to LGPL. So, and the reason for that change is, I mean, it is a library, so it sort of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, but you, all this crazy licensing stuff, we just switched everything over to LGPL. So, okay. Well, something in the, the wording of the license obviously made that more amenable to you guys. But it is open source then and also copyleft because it is GPL. So there you go. That's always nice. We like that here. So can you talk about 
like maybe even from like what you pull down from the Git repository, what the component parts of it are? Uh, basically, at this point, what we have is we control over 230 rigs, uh, and we've got support for uh, tuners. Uh, excuse me, not tuners. That's one that's a new one that we're going to be adding. Uh, we've got amplifiers and uh, let's see now. I'm getting my, getting ahead of myself a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, rig control and rotators. Those are the two uh, rigs, rotators, and amplifiers. Okay, so I have not seen a controlled amplifier at this point probably because i don't use amplifiers but they uh, work I, I assume in the same way you can control like output power and so on and and see information generated from the amplifier uh yeah basically for the amplifiers you can do things like set the frequency you know, get the frequency you can get the levels off of it for you know power whatever it may provide um and basically turn it on and off so basically that it's a real simple functions. You know, normally they don't do a whole lot. So, right. Yeah. They, they, they turn on, they amplify your power. That's pretty much it. <laughs> right. So. And yeah. And then you can set the frequent, uh, the one, the one that I have like one model in there right now, it's a Elecraft KPA 1500. That's, that's the only amplifier that's supported. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only one we got listed here. Well, good uh, on you Elecraft for, uh, forward thinking when it comes to, uh, actual communication actual serial communication with an amplifier so uh, there's probably others out there they just haven't been brought to the attention of the hamlight project at this point yeah most amplifiers don't have an interface yes because i guess why would you right (laughs) (laughs) a lot of them are controlled by the radio so right yeah no i can sort of understand that so i did put in here to talk a little bit about rotators so like what is it is it specifically just getting information about the direction of the rotator and turning it? Is that pretty much all that's supported in there? Uh, for rotators, you end up with uh, basically uh, pretty much you know what you would think for like an antenna. You can set the position, get it, you park it, stop it, move it to a specific with a direction and speed. Um, you can convert from latitude uh, to a location type thing. You can do uh, degrees, minutes, seconds to degrees decimal conversion, um, converting different latitudes and longitudes, and uh, some short path and degrees as to where the short path, you know, what, what, what it is. So what applications are you aware of that give you this information in rotator control that aren't integrated with something else? Uh, well, basically, it can use your antenna, your antenna rotator, for example. Uh, some guys use it for uh, astronomy uh, on astronomical mounts, too. So uh, that actually crosses out of the the ham world. <laughs> well, people who are interested in amateur radio are often interested in uh, astronomy and cosmology and things like that, too. So it, right. It, and also aviation. That tends to be big. <laughs> well, we're not controlling airplanes yet. <laughs> <laughs> RC airplanes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably could, I guess. Haven't not tried that Ham one yet. Live, right? Not not from Ham Live, <laughs> but I mean I mean radio amateurs, not not Ham Live specifically. <laughs> yeah, seeing in uh, seeing in the rotator list, there's like Celestron, which is definitely just uh, pure optics uh, controller. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of just astronomy stuff in here as well, which is pretty cool. 
Yeah, that is really cool. No one really talks about, at least not that I've heard, talks about controlling telescopes with HamLab, but we've just done it. So let's see. Let's uh, let's ask this question in the chat room because it's it's probably a good time because <laughs> I'm not sure where to go from here. So uh, Tom and for HAI has the question. He needs to know why using FL rig is better than connecting FL duties straight to the rig using Hamlet. Um, the primary reason would be if you want to run multiple software at the same time. Uh, secondly, the one reason I'd say it'd be better is because FL rig gives you actually true rig control. You've got a VFO A and B. You've got all your um, level controls built into it. And uh, FL Digi has that option to just say, use FL rig. And it'll talk to that directly. And then you can hook up uh, whatever other, other software you want to it, like your logger, for example, uh, to also talk to it. Yeah, and I think the key there is that FL Rig allows them simultaneous control from several applications at the same time. Where Hamlib, you actually have to disconnect one app and connect the other app, right? Well, not necessarily, though, because if you have F, if you have uh, Hamlib uh, Rig Control D running, you just put your rig as rig control D in each application. And then they all talk to rig control D and they can have simultaneous control. Cause that's how I do it. That's similar to what FL rig does. Okay. So, like so I, then, so there we're back to the question. Why use FL rig? <laughs> Cause I don't use FL rig. Uh, basically a lot of people like to see all the details on the rig there between the VFO, AB and frequency. You can set the split mode. Uh, you can change the frequencies on there, you know, dial it like you would kind of like if you're sitting in front of it. Um, and basically like in the way I've got my system set up here, I have succeeded in controlling everything in my shack automatically, except my antenna switch at the moment, which that's coming. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, for example, uh, the way I've got it set up now, when I switch bank or switch bands, uh, I've got a program that detects it. It turns, uh, a, uh, the PTT switch off that goes between my meter or my tuner and the amplifier so it doesn't turn the amplifier on. Then I can do a tune signal. It's automatic. And once it tunes, it just turns it back all out again. So switching a band, band you just hear click, 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 and done. And all automatic. That's that's pretty cool. I, I've never really liked the FL rig interface. I've always found it a little clunky, so I didn't really get into it early on. Don well, in the chat room says that uh, he can change the volume on his IC7300 using FL rig. So. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it really uh, ticks me off because like when you exit out FL rig, it'll set everything for when it's left, but none of your knobs will match up until you move one of the knobs. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you what you're, what you're reminding me of. Okay, there, there was an old magazine called Dr. Dobbs. Yeah, yes, I, I remember that. that. Remember that yep. one? Okay, one, one of the issues that Dr. Dobbs had on the front page was a keyboard with a little bitty duck sitting on it, and the article was about the first editor you ever used is the one you love. <laughs> and that's the same thing you're talking about if you've never used fl rig it looks clunky to you if you've never used wsgtx it looks clunky to you if you've never used a, a rig before you look at it and go oh my god what am i getting into you know <laughs> right so yes, it's, i understand that entirely yeah, so it's a matter of comfort and imprinting on it <laughs> so you mentioned a something that was coming to ham live because it's something you want to do with it it's funny because i see a lot of applications like that that where they've built it to do something specific and then they have integration with like the Yezu FT 1000 D and only that radio, because it's the one, the 
programmer uses. <laughs> yep. um, but the nice thing about Hamlab is you don't really have to worry about that. Is there is there any radio that you're aware of that is not supported by Hamlab that everyone is like, why doesn't Hamlab support this radio? Uh, nope. Uh, every time somebody said that, I stuck it in there. <laughs> uh, we uh, I worked with WA1W and we got their uh, rig working up there. The, they had a Barrett, Barrett 2050, so we got that one in there. Uh, we had uh, let's see now. Uh, we had TRX Manager said, "Hey, it doesn't work TRX Manager well." Okay, so we built an interface for that. Um, I was the one that said that FL Rig didn't work, so I built an interface for that. <laughs> uh, and we got, I know the Yellowcraft K4 is getting ready to come out and I've asked them for a preview of the manual so I can put it in there. Uh, are the, I, are the radio manufacturers really good or, or at least decent about publishing the specifications of their serial port communication and so forth so that you can, you know, put that support into Amlib? Well, uh, I've had mixed feelings on that. <laughs> um, some manufacturers who shall remain nameless uh, have not been real responsive with bugs that we found. Um, and there's uh, there's at least one age-old problem that has driven us nuts for years, and it still hasn't been fixed, and there's no sign it's ever going to be fixed, is on ICOM radios. You can't find out what VFO you're on. Is that just not in their API? Or? It's not in the API. It's just, it's never, it's not in there. It's never been in there. We asked about it umpteen times and there's never gotten a answer from them. Uh, it's kind of like, come on guys, just give me a command. I want to know if I'm on A or B. That's all I want to know. It seems like that should be one of the first things that go into the API. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it kind of comes from ICOM's history because those used to be uh, military radios. So uh, if you're familiar with the CIV protocol, is designed to work so you can hook up a bunch of radios at the same time and you just turn one radio and all the rest of them follow you. Okay. So the idea was if you switch bands, they all switch bands or switch VFOs, they switch with you. They don't need to ask you what one you're on. You're telling them what one to be on. Well, that would still seem to indicate that something has the information and is sending it. No, it's actually just a command that says swap. So they could be out of sync then, couldn't they? Yeah. Yes, they could. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, actually, what it is, you can set the VFO one time, so you can tell it to go to a VFO, but you can't tell it, ask it which one you're on. Oh, that's that seems like a really bizarre oversight, especially yeah, since agreed. someone is asking them to put it in and they aren't. <laughs> so as a result of that, there are some limitations uh, in WSJTX and stuff where there are assumptions that are made basically saying we have to assume that you always split a B, you know, B is always the transmit VFO and A is always receive because we got no way to tell, but that's uh, only for ICOM, right? It's only for ICOM. I've not, don't, there are a few other rigs that you can't get much from, but that's historical. But like haven't, and, haven't some applications kind of like gotten onto that probably because of supporting ICOM radios. Cause I remember N1 MM having really problems with if you were started on vfob and then you went to split mode it would flip flip out yep exactly <laughs> <laughs> and i i have a yezu rig well actually i have, I have icom too but uh <laughs> i know i've seen it with the yezu rig where it just if you're not on vfoa when you go into contest mode it just it pretty much wigs out until, until it's ready to be in vfoa <laughs> right <laughs> 
Well, that's kind of interesting, actually. I was I was going to ask if uh, you were talking about Flex, but does Ham Live even have any support at all for Flex? Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm working on just a little bug with Flex. That's one of the ones I'm trying to clear up right now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we support both uh, the uh, the Flex 6000 interface, which is kind of generic across all the Flex rigs. So there's a lot of Flex users out there using it. All right. Very good. So I, I noticed that when you list rigs, it'll say like stable, sometimes beta and sometimes alpha. Right. So, so a rig that's in alpha state, what, what is the reason for it being there? Okay. So here's kind of the policy that we follow, which is alpha means nobody's ever tested it. So we, nobody's ever come back and said, yay, raw. Uh, we don't know if it works or not. We just wrote it to a manual. You know, uh, beta means somebody's tested it at least, and we think we got most of it working, but we don't know for sure. And then stable means we think it's supposed to work on everything. <laughs> uh, but there's We've no guarantee. All the assumptions we can make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's there's, hilarious. It ought to be like a stable with a question mark after it, probably. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. I know um, I use a TS570D, and it's probably one of the best supported ham live radios out there kenwood seems to be pretty good yep kenwoods are pretty consistent so that's good all right let's see do we have anything else in the chat well, I got something we, can, we can talk a little bit about we haven't seen a, a release and this is kind of what made this this interview uh kind of come to come to the surface of all the stuff we got going on uh there actually hasn't been a release of ham lib since uh august of august 20th of 2018 and that was obviously version 3.3 which uh, most of the repos for us in uh, the linux world have started to, to at least see that in the the live repos and stuff like that but there's a lot of chatter around all the uh all the recent commits and the the, the possibility of ham lib 4.0 and we're also seeing that uh, due to the probably slowness of getting uh, Hamlet 4 out into the repos, that uh, some of these side apps like WSJTX are compiling in their own version of Hamlet. What can you tell us about that? Uh, actually, okay, so what uh, Hamlet or what the WSJT guys were doing is uh, Bill kept his own little repository there on SourceForge. And due to the slowness of getting patches in at the time, they kind of diverged a little bit. Um, and then uh, kind of after I came on the scene, I started migrating all that stuff over. And re as of right now, they're identical. Okay. Because uh, basically now whenever I push up to the GitHub site, I also push to SourceForge, to, to Bills. So right. well, that's interesting. Cause I the got WS access to both of them. Oh, that's good. Because the WSJTX... Uh, <laughs> the WSJTX build document or like the install file says to use their version of the repo, which I didn't. So it's good to know I didn't have to. Uh, yeah. And actually the current version of WSJTX is actually on version four. So he was taking the early version of it and you will find uh, windows binaries all built up uh, on the website too. That's a, that's a nightly build that goes on. Mm -hmm. And so that is available for the windows side. The hard part is the Linux distributions where all the maintainers uh, seem to want to have it tagged release before they do anything with it. Well, it seems reasonable. <laughs> so when, when are you going to tag a new release? Uh, well, I am kind of projecting somewhere in the next 30 to 60 days. Uh, 
just seems like every time I get ready to do it, somebody else says something that's broke. (laughs) (laughs) It's never always fixed, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's basically it's an ongoing project. That's for sure. (laughs) Bug squashing is a never ending thing. Right. And and what uh, I already got plans starting for uh, 4.1, which going to add a new couple capabilities in there for controlling uh, relays and tuners. So nice. there are there are some relays out there now, and I've been playing with some of them that uh, they're you know, they're IP based. So you plug it into your network, and then you can put whatever you want on that relay. For example, a PTT switch that goes between your amplifier and your tuner or your rig, so you can disable it with either a button or with software. And what we're shoot what we're shooting for. So I'm going to be adding some a couple different programs for controlling those things. So you can probably uh, look at forward to being able to control your SO2R station or whatever <laughs> directly in Hamlet, being able to control, you know, flipping back and forth between transceivers and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, I mean, there's been uh, got, you've obviously been busy among all the other committers. I mean, there's been 1,363 commits since uh, Hamlet 3.3. I'm, I'm yep. sure we're well past due for a uh, a release candidate. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking we've been talking about it, but uh, I want to make sure that when we release it, that we don't have any big, you know, um, we, we want to avoid putting out the release candidate. And then the flex community comes back and says, it doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My only concern was like when starting to see the WSJTX kind of being delivered along with the other packages was, you know, possibly seeing multiple versions of W of uh, Hamlet being included in the distro, um, albeit, you know, custom for that application. Um, it might make it things a little more confusing for the user down downstream that maybe has different pieces of software running at different, uh, that has different, version levels of Hamlib and assuming that one is going to cover everything and then it possibly doesn't because maybe the repo had version 3.13 in it or something like that and their uh, latest uh, you know 2.1x version of WSJTX came with uh, you know the custom 4. Point something and maybe they weren't using that because they already had you know something set up as their their default uh, initiator for rig control D outside of it let's say like CQR log or something like that so, um, so that was the thing I was looking at with all this talk about uh, their, their own versions and stuff like that coming out with the, the um, being compiled in with the application, specifically for Linux, obviously. Yeah, uh, actually, you know, just as a good example, when uh, version 2.1 came out, I believe it was on WSJTX, there was a major error in the code. And so I had to get that fixed real quick. And then they released like 2.1, almost like two days later. So. <laughs> Yeah, we remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to avoid that. I was going to take it at least reasonably slow to make sure you get most of the major kinks worked out. You're never going to get everything. So. Right. <laughs> so what is your interface with uh, with the uh, uh, various uh, repo managers for uh, for the various distributions? Uh, are you the one that actually instigates that uh, discussion with them that you have a release candidate out? Uh, I've only had probably one of the uh, distro maintainers who's contacted me about that. And uh, basically, I have nothing to do with it. It's just uh, we, we post it and say, hey, it's a release or a release candidate. I don't know. They have their own rules for these different distributions. Um, 
what they can put up there. And apparently some of the guys say it has to be a release, a real release before we'll integrate it. Yeah. Full tagged release. So with the version number and everything else. Right. Yeah. So, uh, we'll put a release candidate out there and it'll probably sit for, uh, I'd say it's gotta be at least 30 days without anybody reporting a bug. Uh, yeah. A showstopper, so to speak. And, uh, from there, then we'll go to a full release. So probably sometime this spring. Yeah. So then by the, yeah, then by the time it gets you know positioned to the repo, you're you're way down the road because I'm I'm not even sure what the lead time is <laughs> for like Ubuntu or one of those to get it in. You know, we're looking at a uh, obviously a new LTS release coming out for uh, for Ubuntu here uh, this month, and I believe uh, Fedora Core 32 is coming out too. Um, and I know Fedora has been pretty good about you know keeping the the latest greatest in there. They're not quite as slow as uh, Ubuntu with uh, you know getting those release candidates out. Right. Or to release versions out. Um, I'm not even sure what actually uh, what version comes with uh, Ubuntu right now in your 19.10. Can you tell quickly with uh, with that, Russ? Um, yeah, if you talk for another 10 seconds, I can probably tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're they're basically watching the repo like uh, you know, and many other people like us. <laughs> <laughs> looking for these changes and updates and uh, and uh yeah yeah i'm assuming that uh it's it's probably lagged behind probably another three months to get it through into uh into the mainline distro especially for a, an lts candidate uh, it might even be longer trying to get it in there it says uh 3.3-5 oh so that's not bad it's like the fifth compile on uh the the current version Yep, that's that's what it says on mine anyway. My there install was, package. There, there was no 3.3. Well, they they think it's 3.3. Well, of course, <laughs> there is. There's a 3.3 uh, tagged release, and it was uh, August 20th, 2018, by NONB. Oh, really? Okay, uh, my mistake. Hey, was... No problem. We all do it. <laughs> <laughs> Second thing to go. <laughs> all right. So I asked you like before we started recording about single board computers and whether they were well supported by Hamlib, and you kind of didn't seem to want to answer that question. <laughs> well, uh, I was looking, I was thinking of blood counts, you know, at the time when you said SBC, um, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually worked with SBC. So I, you know, I know what you're talking about there. Uh, we do have a lot of raspberry Pi users. I know that. Um, and other than raspberry Pi, I'm not sure if anybody else, what other boards people are using on, so you guys keep a build out there for ARM processors and, and all that? Uh, let's see. You know, is that part of the just Actually, I've never done a full release. And Nate is the one who will probably actually build the release candidate with all the dist, all the different formats because he's got everything. Uh, and I don't know if he, if he puts an ARM version out there or if somebody else actually builds that. So I couldn't answer that question. Well, that's okay. Maybe we'll figure it out later. <laughs> I was just checking my uh, Fedora Core 31, and uh, I, I won't mention what version they have. <laughs> was it now 2 they, point something? <laughs> no, they actually have 4.0. It's tagged as Git, though. So they're definitely pulling straight from the uh, Git repo on the build for it. So this is why I love Fedora. <laughs> yeah, they're a little bit ahead of everybody, yep. <laughs> well, they're just kind of making stuff up, though, because there's really no 4, 4.0 build. So. Well, I'm assuming that's coming from the, uh, the Fusion guys, so... That's that's probably all from them. So it's slightly separated from the uh, the mainline, but uh, the RPM fusion stuff is is pretty much the, what you have to get anyway. So I know we've kind of talked about it 
over the course of the show, but can you encapsulate the major differences between 3.3 and what will become 4.0? Uh, okay. Major differences are some new capabilities with, um, of course, may, may, several new rigs added. Uh, we fixed a whole ton of bugs um, that basically I'm down to where there's only like one bug reported right now. Uh, and some new utilities like the rig control com for doing the virtual uh, com ports. Um, we've added, like I said, the network based access so you can access rigs over the network. Uh, and that's probably what I'll call the highlights of it. Like I said, the, the interface to FL rig is new to 4.0. Um, so we've actually opened it up to where it talks to a lot more programs and is part of what I'll call the central core of being able to operate your station all automatically so you don't have to disconnect from one program to reconnect another program. So are you updating FL Rig? Are you the one who develops FL Rig? Uh, well, I've helped Dave a little bit with FL Rig, but uh, no, Dave uh, W1KHJ, of course, is, he's the primary author for FL Rig. But uh, he and I worked a lot together trying to get these two guys talking together and expand his interface on FL Rig so that we could talk to it with everything that we needed. So, so are you uh, coordinating with him on the updates to HamLive to have that stuff sort of pushed forward into FL Rig so it has all the capabilities? Um, actually, the relationship is the other way around with FL Rig. We use FL Rig from HamLive as opposed to FL Rig using us. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, FL Digi is kind of the other way around. FL Digi uses us because <laughs> right. there's because there's a Hamlib interface in there. There is no Hamlib interface in FL Rig. Uh, no, I'm, I'm more used to it the FL Digi way. <laughs> right. And uh, so yeah, we're trying to get uh, FL Digi's got a little bit of a problem with Hamlib. Apparently, we've seen some bugs reported lately where it doesn't run quite correctly. So uh, I got to work with Dave a little bit more on that one. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't had any issues with uh, FL Digi at all. Of course, I don't use FL Digi. I'm sort of stuck in WSJTX right now. <laughs> I need to. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's one of the things you got to think of is basically out of all the QSOs going on, like 90% of them now are done with WSJTX and JTDX between those two uh, programs, primarily WSJTX. So you figure HamLive is being used by almost every operator in the world. So. Yep. Whether they're whether they know it or not, it's one of those things you can use it or not use it because you don't have to enable Hamline support to use WSJTX. Certainly makes things a lot easier though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, the chat room seems to be a little bit quiet on questions. I think we've uh, covered this pretty well, and if anyone has any questions, feel free to throw them in here in the next couple of minutes. But Let's talk about where to find help and support on the HamLive project. Where's a good spot for documentation? Are there live chats, mailing lists, groups, et cetera, et cetera? Where do you, where do you get help? Uh, basically, the best thing is there's a HamLive development group. Uh, there's basically a HamLive group and a development group. Either one works, and that way you can contact uh, – it probably, probably be me answering the question um, – you can contact me directly if you need to. You can go to my QRZ page for Whiskey 9 Mike Delta Bravo. I've got some other software on there that I've written for doing different things, uh, like a little time fudge program that allows you to skew your clock uh, for those guys that like to sit up on mountains and 
just skew your clock based on what you see on the uh, the decodes. Um, got another little package up there that likes for worked all states from your log of the world data and draws a map and uh, antenna di- antenna direction to states and all your awards. Not your awards, but your worked for bands and modes and everything else on with a U.S. map. Nice color coded for you. Good for beginners in particular. So all right. Yeah, just find look me look for me on my QRZ page. Uh, and actually, I think I'll post some uh, information on my QRZ page about uh, the Hamlib uh, email lists on there, so that people know if they want to join on there. And it's not a real active list; it's mainly uh, you know people with problems and bugs that they find. Well, that's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Only complainers. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> Well, we, we linked to the GitHub repo and the SourceForge repo, and I put a link in for the wiki. Uh, the documentation at the wiki does seem to be pretty good from what I've seen. So I don't know who's doing the documentation, if it's you or not. Uh, I think- well, unfortunately, right now it's mostly me. Uh, as those of you who may have developed software documentations, typically one of the last things that we worry about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I've been trying to improve it where I can. I've added some stuff in the code for automatic generation of the pages. Um, it appears to be good enough because th- I get very few questions on programming, actually. So apparently it's good enough for that. Uh, the hard part, of course, is just like your rig, learning what all it can do and what all you can do with it if you're trying to do more than just use the pull-down in WSJTX to select your rig. So if you want to do more than that, it's possible. Uh, but it takes a little more learning and effort. So if somebody wanted to do more things like that, where would they find documentation on it? Or is there any that you're aware of? Uh, we do have um, the documentation is online, although right now it's still 3.3 on the documentation. Uh, but as soon as we do a release candidate, it'll update to the 4.0 documentation. Uh, there haven't been a whole lot of changes in the documentation um, but the biggest thing missing, I think, probably is when you do use it from a command line and you get all the help, um, it's a little bit probably daunting to some people about all all the options that are actually available on your rig that you don't even know about. Uh, so there's all sorts of parameters. It's kind of like opening up your manual and going back to the uh, all the menus and saying, what is everything that my rig can do? Because it pretty much all of it's controllable via software, too. Is uh, the stuff that's pushed out into like user share doc, command pages and things like that, are those all pretty thorough, up to date, et cetera? Uh, yes. Yeah. We try and keep that pretty much up to date. Yep. That's the first priority is the man pages. <laughs> all right. Very good. I think you were going to say something and I cut you off. <laughs> uh, well, no, just the idea man pages are like number one. And then there's uh, other documentation, which is kind of like a secondary, what I'll call it secondary documentation to uh, try and uh, give a more, detailed explanation but I, again I've, I've never had a person really ask a question that i said "Ooh, i need to you know i've had one or, one or two comments where somebody said it's not clear what this means so okay let's go change the documentation then so if you don't ask you don't get well fair enough is there any live support that you know of irc channel or anything like that uh no however uh, I guess I got to be a little bit careful here, but I do help a lot of people on a lot of stuff. Yeah, so, you don't want to invite too many people to contact <laughs> you. That's uh, usually a bad idea. <laughs> uh, my phone's been kind of ringing a lot here the last couple of weeks. I got a couple guys that have all sorts of problems. Uh, 
especially when you get some of our, our, uh, how do I want to, the wiser guys, I'll call the, you know, the, the ones that have been around for a while and some of them get a little bit, uh, oh, forgetful, I guess you could say, but also a lot of these guys that were never computer oriented and now they're in the computer world and they're just lost, you know? Yep. I, I deal with that at work a lot. <laughs> Uh, and also with friends and family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so since you're uh, obviously the primary developer right now, are you looking for any other developer help, any community support? Any? Do you want anybody on board? Or are you, like, are you the new Linus Torvalds of Hamlib? <laughs> uh, well, you know, actually, I helped Linus back when he started uh, Linux long time ago, back in the 80s. I actually helped write some of that. Uh, that's that a long time ago. Um, so yeah, you know, in a way, I guess I am. I hate to. I'm not him because I'm not the one that created it. I'm just the guy that got stuck with it, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, like I said, if if you got uh, questions, feel free to contact me. I'm always help uh, willing to help somebody out, uh, explain something, or if you got things that you want to see that you don't think are in there, let me know. Um, Always happy to help somebody out. Is there something in there that you don't see that you think should be in there? Uh, well, no, we kept it all clean, so I think it's good. No, I'm <laughs> talking about ham life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. It's just it's a, it's basically a software that has continually grown, and I don't think we did break a little bit going to version four, although most people won't notice it. A few did. Uh, we changed the model numbers, for example. So that's one of the big ones that we had one complaint about, at least so far. Um, but uh, most people would never notice it if you're not using it directly from the command line. So, um, but yeah, I can always use, uh, always willing to have help. I get people submitting patches for different things. There's a few of them out there. Uh, it's a non-trivial thing to learn. Uh, for those that have never tried to control a rig, and used a package like this, which tries to abstract the whole thing into a generic interface. So the same interface that operates all these 200 and some odd rigs. It's a little bit of a challenge. Oh, I can imagine. But it's good to know that you're looking for support and at least encouraging support if someone has a patch or a fix or something like that, or even a suggestion, because uh, it sounds like you're responsive to suggestions and feature requests and so on. Oh, Absolutely. Very good. So the question we always ask at the when we get down to the bottom of these interviews, is there something about the project or just something you want to tell us that we left out or that you just want to add? Uh, well, I think we covered a lot of it, so uh, I don't think I have anything else to add at the moment. All right. Well, that's good. That means I think we did a pretty good job. I think we've had some feedback in the chat that's indicated that they don't have any questions, and that means I think we reasonably covered the topic. That doesn't mean questions won't come up later, but <laughs> right. everyone knows where to direct them now to you. Yep. <laughs> so, very good. Well, with that said, we do have a couple of uh, bits of feedback that we're going to get to, but we really want to thank you, Michael, for coming on the show tonight and talking to us about Hamlib. And I'm going to explore FL Rig a little bit more, and we'll be looking forward to the new Hamlib release and the uh, additional features that it provides and i'm sure some folks who hear this will be in touch directly yep sounds good thank you guys 
Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll get with you uh, maybe next time when HamLive 4.1 or even 5.0 comes out. I'm sure uh, we'll have more to say about that. So hope you have a good evening, and thanks for being here. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. All right, very good. So thanks again to, to Michael. Uh, W9MDB for being here and telling us all about ham libs. Very interesting topic. We did touch on this way back in episode 206, but that was a long time ago. And that was just us speaking our brains and probably doing it poorly. So with that being said, we should probably run down through a couple bits of feedback here. I'll take the first one because it's easy. And Bill gets the second one because he's been having an ongoing conversation about it. So absolutely. Uh, the first one is a YouTube comment from. Sigurd Oscarson, Tango Foxtrot 2 Whiskey India November, who says, thanks, thanks, thanks. This is the best video I have seen and great that more people are using Linux and you have been very helpful to me. 7.3 from TF2WIN. And that was on your uh, Building a Hamshack Computer Part 2. So, Woot. Yeah, we definitely got to update those. <laughs> yeah, man, that stuff's getting old. Yeah, I'm going to start doing uh, some new ones with uh, starting various distributions up and how to get them kind of going and started. So um, that's kind of in my plans. I kind of got the box already set up to do that now, and I I just have to kind of get started on it. So hopefully we'll be seeing some new, new, uh, more long-term content uh, appearing on our channel shortly. Yeah, very good. We we definitely need to put some more stuff up on YouTube, but... (laughs) But what's up with this call sign? Tango Fox 2 to Windows? What? What? What is that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's... No, no. <laughs> Just say no. Just say no. <laughs> uh, that brings us to an email we have from Ed, Delta Delta 5 Lima Papa. And he's from, of course, the ICQ podcast, right? Am I right? Am I right? Uh, you are correct. Okay, I'm right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> anyway, he sent us a note uh, via email. He said, hi, guy, gal and guys. Just listened to uh, Bill Mira and uh, Pete Juliano's uh, smarter, uh, solder, uh, solder smarter smoke. smoke. Smarter smoke. <laughs> How much smarter have you been drinking, Bill? Um, apparently too much now. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're in quarantine here, right? This is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Solder Smoke podcast, and they covered the fact that AFT8 spoofing has started. Dun dun dun. Have you guys heard anything about this? And if so, you might want to comment on your show about how you feel about it. What it is is a group of people using a remote station in one part of the world to receive one or more FT8 stations on one band, let's say 20 meters. Relaying that digital data to the same frequency, but on a remote transceiver in another part of the world. I guess you can consider it to be an Earth-based linear transponder, uh, similar to what we have, what several satellites have. The difference here is that the operators at each end don't know that they are being repeated and believe their 5 watts and non-resonant loft antenna is getting their FT8 signal to the other side of the world when it isn't. Recent distant records claimed using FT8 could have been spoofed without either of the parties knowing, but record would, but the record would then not be valid. Uh, the effect of this pirating two station signals without their knowledge puts the validity of contacts using the mode in question in general. I think there needs to be some changes in the WSJTX software and derivatives to identify the latency and stop contact from completing. What do you guys gal think 73 from ed delta delta five lima papa and uh yeah this is uh 
this is something that can happen quite easily. <laughs> and uh, we had uh, went back and forth on uh, on email copy and everybody. And then me and Ed have been continuing the conversation a little bit more, trying to unearth all of the possibilities and modes that would also could, could possibly be affected by this. Um, but in the end, you know, I, I doubt I, I just have strong doubts that this would be used in an unknowing, uh, unknowingly, um, especially when you're dealing with uh, records and stuff like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we, we kind of played back and forth several options that, that you could even do to replicate this and, and kind of see unrealistic stuff. Like, let's say I could be on two meter, uh, FT8 or JT65 doesn't matter what one, and uh, I could have a remote receiver listening to my signal here somewhere that uh, Ed in his backyard has, and he's listening to it as his receive input, and then he's transmitting out on his RF link. But there's another receiver over there that I'm picking up via the internet, so we could have a, a two meter contact between Montana. And where Ed is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's there's a million ways that, that this would work. And you could kind of fake it. But in reality, I think, you know, a lot of these long-distance contacts always get questioned. And generally, this is always on VHF and higher. Uh, nobody really gives a rat's butt about, uh, you know, HF contacts and low, low power. I don't see a, a, a huge thing for... Um, for this specifically with FT8, uh, you know, this would come more in line where you have possibly a contest station uh, bringing in contacts via remote uh, where it's not, a, you know, they're saying they're somewhere, but yet they're using, a, let's say they're out there in the Mediterranean somewhere, but they're using a receiver or a, or, or a second station that they say is in the Mediterranean, but is actually a contest station you know, owned by DX engineering or something like that. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I could see this already happening with the availability of commercial, you know, rent to use, uh, uh, amateur radio stations and possibly them using a non, uh, a non, uh, uh, DXCC, uh, <laughs> call, uh, when they're, when they're using their call, let's say you're in the U S and you rent a station in, in the UK and then you're not prefixing your station with the, you know, you know, mic stroke or whatever, saying that you're actually transmitting from the UK and you take the contact as, as if you were, you know, transmitting from your, your house in Oklahoma or something like that. Uh, you know, all these possibilities have opened up numerous ways to uh, circumvent normal amateur use at your station. And I wouldn't be surprised that people have been using these to do specifically that. And this doesn't even include this particular case where someone is actually repeating the signal, which uh, you would think an FT8 land wouldn't be able to survive the latency of uh, shifting across the internet and, uh, and turning back onto RF and then being, you know, two, three seconds out of sync and still being decoded. Are you paying attention to the discord? Uh, not No, I'm just chatting here so <laughs> everyone's been shouting at you that this was the april 1st edition of solder smoke and they're wondering oh, if the whole oh, thing was a joke <laughs> it was a joke oh well it's, it's actually really possible though it is really possible and i'm not and saying it is a joke in, but i would see it in vhf land and you would not really see an hf because nobody gives like i say a rat's butt about vhf land 
but um, it's not. It would not be impossible. Yeah, there are definitely no. ways to cheat the system, and you know, it's the people that are cheating the system are doing it for a specific reason, and it wouldn't be good for the hobby. But I can guarantee you, it is happening every day, <laughs> um, regardless of an April first joke. <laughs> no, I'm sure it is. I mean, reception by SDR, you know that's happening, and you know, yeah, any of these other crazy things, and of course, FD8 particularly, and some of the other digital modes allow for entirely, I mean, of course, voice does too, but entirely anonymous communication. So <laughs> just think about it. A lot of people complain about uh, the received noise in their, their you know, location because they're in the city or whatever, but maybe they have a perfectly great transmit signal. You know, it could be very easy for someone to use the receiver, I don't know, from SDRHU or WebSDR and use that as their receive and just transmit away. Does that beg the question whether or not that's a valid style of QSO? I mean, uh, it's actually considered not valid. Okay. So a lot there. of the rules that specifically outlaid this stuff to say that, you know, this type of use is, is not proper. It has to be done from the same station location. But I would say that is probably not, you know, it, it probably is happening to some extent. Yeah, I, I'm sure it has to be. I mean, so, and well, yeah, a, like, linear, a linear a, HF transponder probably is not happening. <laughs> that's pretty complicated for, for people to screw up. Plus, you would see it on the maps right away. You would see some really weird propagation. Um, and and even the, the operator would probably not believe it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm sure my little five watt signal here in Montana is not making it. You know, to, uh, you know, especially like northern Russia, where I know I can't even talk to or hear, <laughs> you know, from my station <laughs> location. So, uh, yeah, I just I don't see that as a possibility. And, yeah, that would make sense as a April Fool's. But I think that the legitimacy of other similar style, possibly uh, violating some rules for people that are trying to create propagation where there is none is is feasible. Oh yeah, most certainly. And so, so yeah, I mean it, it's a joke, but it's is it really a joke? I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> well, the thoughts in the chat are basically that the things that are posted as a joke on the Cyrus Smoke April First podcast are generally things that are things that could happen. You know what I mean? So it's in the realm of possibility. It's just not really happening. But it might be really happening. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> There's a ton of other things that could be happening that if people really want to get angry about stuff. You could. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. You know, but it really only it really only pisses off the people collecting wallpaper themselves. You know, it's like I'm trying to do this myself, and you know, you got Tommy over there is a you know millionaire living in a HOA neighborhood, and he's renting a uh, you know, super duper contest station to make all his contacts. And, you know, the station's in, you know, Michigan and, you know, he's living in Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of people don't don't really think that any of that is very legitimate either. You know, right. it's kind of falls under that. It's not real ham radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, to hear you tell it, there is no real ham radio anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, it's all semi-fake right now. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a, a kind of interesting. I didn't know. I, I haven't kept up with. I do have uh, them in my subscription list, but I, I don't always play them because I got like 5,000 other podcasts to listen to. So I didn't catch it and I didn't know it was actually the April 1st one. And uh, of course, Ed didn't tell me. So, you know, he could have uh, he could have got duped, too. So 
And I didn't listen to the podcast yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I haven't either. I, I guess I should have looked there, but there was a, also a conversation on Twitter about it as well that he uh, sent in the link. And uh, and yeah, there, there's other people kind of having very similar, uh, it, interesting conversations about the same thing. It, it just it becomes complicated using FTA. I think FTA is just, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, <laughs> whipping boy <laughs> for things that they hate in AM radio uh, because it's so pervasive and uh, being used. Um, it really wouldn't survive a lot of a lot of that because of the timing sequences. JC65 probably you could probably get away with it easy just because there's enough of a, a receive gap in the timing that you could possibly do it. I mean, all you have to do is just run your decoder. Please turn off the PSK reporter. Run your WSJTX decoder on a web SDR from somewhere else around the world and look at the time on it. And that's that's how you'll be able to tell right away is because you're going to be so far off of the regular time. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, FD8, maybe not so much. Other modes, you know, where timing is not necessarily important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a possibility. It's definitely a possibility. So, um, yeah, just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll keep that in mind, at least until this comes up again, when it really starts happening. <laughs> And someone's figured out how to work all states in three seconds and all that. So, yeah, I want that. <laughs> it's not really that important. <laughs> all right. Anyway, we should probably get on out of here. But before we do that, uh, I will say thank you once again to Michael W9MDB for his insights into Hamlib. And you all need to be using that project if you're not, which you probably already are if you're listening to this. But if you're a new amateur and just getting into things and all that, then uh, check it out. It's a project that has a lot of power, and it's used by all kinds of applications. It's in the background behind all the things you do. So with that, let's mention the folks in the chat. We had a pretty good crowd in here tonight. We had Michael, of course, W9MDB. We had Don, KC9ZMY, Steve, K7HVT, Tony, KM4HSD, Jim, V5EV, Jonas. We'll mention him twice, Jonas. <laughs> Jonas, Jonas. Yeah, because of the oversight a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, we had Ted, WA0EIR, and we had Tom, and for hi! <laughs> so, there you go. Those are all the people who chatted with us tonight, and it was a great night. We had a lot of discussion, a lot of talk about ham live and cigars and other things. So, let's get on out of here. Let's wrap this up. This has been a really insightful, educational, and entertaining, we hope, episode of Linux in the Ham Shack, number 340. And we'll catch you all again when we do it again. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8 pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. 
Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or handfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.